Welcome to A Passion to Serve. My name is Don Kitnicki and I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a big fan of storytelling and during this podcast we'll be sharing real human stories about migrant and seasonal farm workers and the work that is being done on their behalf. For example, do you know about the contributions of migrant and seasonal farm workers to the United States economy and the challenges these farm workers face on a daily basis? What about services for farm worker youth in order to lead them on to the path towards self-discovery and self-sufficiency? And what about lessons learned by leaders who have dedicated their lives to serving others through a myriad of programs? These stories and so much more will be part of A Passion to Serve. I hope you decide to join us on this path of discovery. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of A Passion to Serve. Due to the location of the interview, you will hear a slight echo in the background. My apologies. My guest, Ginger Vallejo, is a proud third-generation farm worker who now works as an agricultural employment specialist with the Labor and Economic Opportunity Agency of Michigan. During this episode, Ginger discusses some of her family experiences and how she ultimately began working on behalf of migrant and seasonal farm workers. During our conversation, Ginger mentions other workforce development programs, including the North American Free Trade Agreement's Transitional Adjustment Assistance Program, or TAA NAFTA, as well as dislocated worker and adult programs administered through the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. All of these employment and training programs have the goal of helping people through challenging circumstances. Now, on to the episode. Ginger Vallejo, welcome to A Passion to Serve. Thank you, Don. I'm so happy that you're willing to talk with me. And whenever I do the podcast, my intro to it is I always talk about how I interview farm workers and the people who work on their behalf. And you fit both of those categories, Ginger. You have experience as a farm worker, and now you're giving back to your community. So the first question I would have for you is what is your farm experience, not only just you, but your family? Well, I am a third generation um, Texan, I should say. My family, my grandfather immigrated from Mexico in the early 60s, and they um, traveled to Michigan. You know, that that farm working was a way of life for our family. And then that was on my mother's side. On my father's side, they come from uh, Florida, which is Immokalee, Florida, which is another um, area of farm working. My parents met in Michigan and um, farm working has been in our family for the generations. Um, I was very fortunate enough to have opportunity and um, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to storytell and share a little bit of how, you know, with a little bit of support and, um, oh, I'm sorry, did I miss something? <laughs> I'm a little no. bit nervous, even though it's a call, it's crazy, I'm usually good communicator but I think because the story is so special um I want to make sure that I tell it correctly Ginger there's no right or wrong way to do this interview and I love the emotion and the passion that I hear in your Thank fantastic you. so I will go back just briefly so were you migrating from Texas to, to Michigan every year did you have a little out here in Michigan what was that experience like for you yes so we um, migrated to the Decatur Dewajic, uh, which is in Southwest Michigan. Uh, my grandfather worked with, uh, it was called Foster Farms back then, and it is now uh, owned by uh, Faulkner Farms. 
uh, we uh, would do the uh, cucumber harvest with them and the sherry harvest we would also do with shear farms. Uh, we've also traveled to the different other states. We've done sugar beets in Colorado, which, you know, we've have, um, our family would, would do the migration chain to follow the work throughout the different states. So when you think of the work that you were doing and when you think of the work that your parents did, that your grandparents did, are there any specific experiences that either you had or they had that really stand out to you? I think um, the, one of the most vivid experiences that I have is payday for my, my family. There's, they call this store the Little Red Store in Keeler, Michigan, and all the farm workers would go there to cash their checks. And I remember every Friday we would go there and um, my, my aunts and my uncles and my grandfather would go and cash their checks. And I always got my Twinkies with my Fanta strawberry. And just to see, <laughs> Don, just to see the other families, you know, um, in, that, in that kind of an environment, because he was either at work or when they returned to the housing, everybody was exhausted from work. You know, they still made time to, you know, get together and that, but just those special Fridays, I think is something that's very vivid in my memory. And it's something that even as I got married and my husband and I came back to do the work in Michigan, you know, I would pass through that store. And, and even now, you know, I passed through that store. I'm talking about like the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands and, now we're 2020 and I passed through that store and that memory is just something so, it's something so ingrained in my heart and I'm so grateful for it. But it also brings back some of my advocacy work and assuring farm workers rights are protected because as I got older and my grandfather would, um, you know, back then they would do like, they were like um, casino chips. And they had like a right. like a, a punch, depending on how many you picked and stuff like that. And um, I remember counting them and then starting to do math and learning, you know, us children of, you know, immigrants are the children, are the translators, they're the, you know, the bank of, of people, the interpreters. And I remember, you know, one time, this one particular situation, he turned in certain chips that I had counted because sometimes when I was younger, I would sit and hold on to this chip so that they wouldn't lose them as they're picking the cucumbers. And I remember vividly counting a one, one um, amount. And then when he turned it in for payment, it was different. And I said to my grandfather, oh, that's not right. And... Um, he looked at me like, like, it's okay. And this is like a man that stood almost six foot tall. He was the head of the household, a lot of pride. And to see that, that just that look in his eyes made me think about um, what was being, what was happening. And um, so I never took those paydays for granted because I knew that as much as they cashed in, a lot more worth was in that. And I don't mean just monetary, I mean overall for the family because my grandfather had a family of 15. And I speak a lot about my grandparents because they raised me. So uh, a lot of my experiences are with them. 
Well, when you were when you were talking, a couple of thoughts came to mind. Ginger, the first one is we might be dating ourselves because I remember really well Fanta Pop, and I don't even know if that's still <laughs> it's still one of my anymore. favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of going mm-hmm. old school. And the other thing that you really hit upon that one of the reasons why I love doing the podcast, there's such a strong sense of community and family that um, is just part of that, such a strong bond within most mm-hmm. farm worker families and farm worker communities. And that really came through in, in everything that you were just talking about. And, you know, my heart broke a little bit when you were explaining that story about your grandfather, that someone who works so much and is contributing so much to our economy and trying to care for his family and to have to make some of those concessions, even though it wasn't right, that had to be really difficult. But um, I don't know if you have anything else that you would like to share in regards to community and what community looked like then to you and and what community means to you today. And I just want to point out that um, the experiences with the employers that my grandfather went with year after year were good ones. This this was, um, we were in the middle of like changing and there was some work here and some work there. And this was an individual that was not related to the employers I mentioned. So I want to, first of all, put that because I would not want to um, put any kind of negativity because uh, I mean, the foster family was really good to us when we were younger. I mean, they, they were just really good. Um, but one of the other experiences, I guess, and I, this is where I, my heart is in outreach and, you know, being out there with the farm workers is I remember when we used to be in the camps, the big vans, big white vans would come up and they were the Catholic services and they would come up and they would bring blankets and fresh towels and, and the kids would all get like, um, there were these oatmeal cookies. And they would, they, they would oh. distribute these cookies to the kids and all of us would come great and be like, oh my God, you know, we just got cookies. How many did you get? And just, we would <laughs> wait for those visits because we knew they were coming. Oh, we yeah. would get toothbrushes and, you know, so now that when I do my job and, you know, we, in my role, we're employment, you know, and, and training, you know, to assure people if they want to have access to other programs to help them you know, um, overcome barriers. When I'm out in the field, like I'm telling you, summertime is my favorite time because it's like a memory lane of when I was younger. And I know how getting the right opportunity with the right person can significantly change their lives. So I, I hear the sense of pride that you come from a family of three generations of farm workers. And I'd like to hear a little bit about what was the transition like for you? How long did you work doing farm work? And how did you gradually make that transition into ultimately becoming a farm worker advocate? So we, I married very young with my husband and my husband comes from uh, farm working, but in a different type. They work more in the dairy manure industry. And he did that for a while. And we wanted to really get away from Texas, some of the toxic um, things. And again, Texas is a beautiful place, but for us, we wanted something different for our family and we wanted to settle down, you know? And uh, we just um, got in the car and we just decided, you know, this year we're gonna go and look for work and 
we're going to try and make it happen for our children. And this was in 2002. Um, when we got here, we had been promised employment and um, that didn't work out. And somebody said to me um, at the laundromat, you know, um, you need to go to the employment office. There's a program there. They help you with food and um, gas because we were needing those critical services that you know we came with just what we had and um i walked into the employment office and i see this very energetic person <laughs> and i will forever be grateful for him you know very energetic person and he's like how can i help you and i said you know i told him my situation and he's like okay so we help me with emergency services but he's like tell me where you're at and i said well i have a gud and i substituted here and I worked in packing and I've done this and I've done greenhouse and he's like what would you like to do and I said I don't want to do that because I want to like I want something year round for my family and I think that's always been like my foundation is my husband and my family and um, we did some assessments and it took some time and he had an assistance and by the way this was a Telemont NFJP program and at yeah, the National Farmworker yes. Jobs Program. And yep. uh, my, my okay. caseworker was Marcos Flores, and the person that helped was Maria Anguiano. And they, she just happened to be on maternity leave, and I qualified for on-the-job training. So I was placed at the Telemann office for a couple of weeks, and then through Telemann, I met the manager and with some of the service providers of the local Michigan Works office. And then I did a couple of weeks of um, on-the-job training with them. And that was like my first foot in the door because I was hired to um, do frontline services, which is help the general population in the Michigan Works Office, and then also help the um, local employers with job orders, finding people. And they found my bilingual abilities as an asset to them and they gave me opportunity because like I said, um, my story's long and it's complicated like I'm sure very others are, but I know that I needed to get at least the basic education to try and do something and that's what got me my foot in my door, that I spoke Spanish and that I had a high school equivalency education. So I wonder if that was the first time that it was ever approached to you or that you actually realized what a great resource and asset that is to be able to, to have that ability to communicate in multiple languages. Yeah, because, it, and being, um, I, like I said, I was, my, my mom's from Texas, my dad's from Florida. They met in Michigan. I was raised in Texas. I was born in Florida. So I've never been, 100% this or 100% that. So my English is not good enough. My Spanish is not good enough. And um, just knowing that the basics that I had was enough to get me through the door gave me a boost of confidence. And let me tell you that I've had some of the best managers and some of the best mentors a person could ever ask for. Because I used to be so, um, I was a little bit shy, a little bit self-conscious about speaking and saying and I've just been very grateful that I, that I've had opportunity and when I go out on the farm that's what I do when I go out and do outreach and I speak to moms I speak to dads I speak to 
uh, like children, I want to find the opportunity in them and I want to help them achieve that. Ginger, it's knowing for the length of time that I've known you, the thought of you being shy and a little <laughs> bit reserved is hard for me to and believe. It, 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 <laughs> it, bro- it broke off really quick. <laughs> uh, like I tell you, I've had some really good mentors and I've had, I've had to learn a lot of things down the hard way too. And I think that is something that is so important because sometimes there can be situations that are meant to break you. But let me tell you that I think like the year 27, 28 of my life, I was like, are these going to break me or are they going to give me a road path to show me what I can do different to not have the same outcome? And every obstacle since then, that's been my mentality. And I'm so very grateful. Like I'm very grateful for every opportunity and I'm grateful that I, I know that I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. And if I'm meant to be somewhere else, eventually it will happen. You know, it's interesting to me too, that I think most people and, and myself definitely included, I definitely had those turning point moments in my life where things could have gone either way. And you look back and at least when I look back at times, it's almost shocking how one wrong decision in my life would be completely different mm-hmm. than it is today. And the one thing that I think really influenced that, which you hit upon as well, is having mm-hmm. mentors, having people who I knew that I could count on made the difference in so many of those situations that I was yes, facing. Yes, we cleaned out our basement um, this last weekend, and I have cards and letters and everything, and my, my children say, why do you keep them? I said, I can reach, I can read a letter and a card and know exactly why I, it was written to me. Like, I am very fond of handwritten letters and thank yous. Like, I don't need notoriety on a public platform or in a meeting or anything. I'm more like content knowing that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But when you get those little handwritten notice or letters, I, I love that. And I have a bunch of them and it just, makes me very grateful for every experience. I think that's fantastic. And I bet in some ways your kids appreciate where you come from, although I bet you they really can't completely identify with what it was like for you. You know, my kids and and we all grew up together. As I said, you know, the story is a little bit complicated. I got married very young. My husband and I are going to celebrate our 30th anniversary and we're very fortunate that we've been able to be good partners with each other but our children have never not experienced everything we've experienced and I think that's made them strong individuals as well you know um, just for them seeing me come from a receptionist to the Michigan Works Office to an actual dislocated case manager you know at those times when that happened there was the TAA NAFTA uh, program had amped up and there was like companies with three, 400 people closing and we were helping them transition to that. So all of those little steps in life, eventually the position that I'm in now opened up and those careers, those jobs that I had gave me the foundation I needed to be able to get into this, the role that I currently have now. And it's, it's experience. So that, (laughs) oh, I was, I was just going to say it's, very interesting and inspiring how you went from an on-the-job training contract 
into the, in with the Michigan Works Office, which they administer and they have the one-step centers throughout the state of Michigan. They have mm -hmm. a variety of employment and training services. And from there, you um, had so many other life experiences implementing different programs. And now, how many years have you been in agriculture? I've been specialist? 14 years with the state of Michigan. I was a year and a half as an intake at the Michigan Works Office. Um, then I did almost two years as a case manager with the Area Agency on Aging. Um, and then I started in 2004 with the state of Michigan. So it was, it, it, I've been doing my job for almost 14, for 14 years, yeah. <laughs> it's a long time. So <laughs> it is, it is. And I remember when I started to work in this field, the workforce development field, how I knew nothing about it when I went into it, but I found it was a really good fit for me. And was your experience similar that the more experiences that you had in this type of work, did it feel like it really fit your mission or what you would want yes, to continue I to do? Yes, I found that um, we are, you know, our goal is to assure that, you know, the agriculture employment stream runs smoothly. And there's so many components to that because it's not just about work, you know, work and employment. There's so many barriers an individual needs to overcome to be able to maintain employment, to gain or maintain employment. And um, this is like the best part. Like, I love to network. I love to engage. And I love to see people working together for the overall goal, you know, and I think that just as the years have gone by, I love it more and more, and I appreciate it more and more. I appreciate all the partnerships I'm able to have. I'm appreciate all the individuals that I meet every year, you know, that they inspire me in a way that some people that have never even knew they had farm workers in their backyards, sit down with them and tell them, you know, what are the experience and what they contribute and they're in, they want to help. They want to see what they can do. And to me, like that restores so much when I'm having a bad day or when something doesn't go right. I think about there's so much more good out there and let's continue to work on that. And everything else just falls by the wayside. <laughs> well, and I think we both know firsthand that there's no single agency nope. or entity that can do everything that can help address and meet the needs of our farm workers and their families. And um, I think I think we have seen significant changes, especially with the increase in the use of H-2A workers. And I would like to hear what your experience has been working more and more with the H-2A worker population. And for those who may not be familiar, H-2A workers are brought in on a contract basis where they come in and they do farm work. They have a visa status and they're able to work for a set period of time um, in states like Michigan and other areas where there's a lack of farm workers to complete. You know, I, work. to me, the having, whether there is migrant seasonal H-2A in front of any farm worker, it's not um, a farm worker is a farm worker and it's a person working out in the field to provide to our community and to our economy. So we do see that it's changed a little bit, you know, well, a lot. Um, you know, we used to have the families that would come. They're still there. I still see a lot of the families. 
Um, there's some changes, yes. Um, and I have firsthand ex experience and knowledge of how this program has grown and why and the need, you know. And um, so I understand a little bit better, but when we're out there, that's what we're doing. We're just assuring people, you know, um, we're more focused on individuals that, you know, are needing to have employment services. All of the workers that come in, they come in under age program. We give them the information that is required to give them, maintain contact with them if need be for a referral for any other support service. Um, and I mean, it is a shift, but we do know that nothing is definite other than change, right? So it's just adjusting to exactly. how our role can help and still be and meet all the expectations that's required of us because um, we have to keep up with times and change. Exactly. So before we started the interview, you had mentioned that I believe today is the first day that you're out on the road. And I'm wondering what that experience has been like for you. And also in general, now that we're in the midst of the coronavirus, how have you been um, performing your work duties? Because obviously here in Michigan, we have a stay at home order and um, it's really affected how we can meet the needs. Yeah, of our I think it's right a, now. In, important that um, we did communicate, you know, we did all the communicating we could through internet, I mean, through email, through phone, you know, we're so fortunate that now we have the ability to connect to a commonly used app with farm workers. Uh, but we do know that we do need to have that contact because our population it, you know, you can do as much as you can through those kinds of means. And today um, it was a circumstance of, you know, people are arriving and they need assistance and they need help and some people need work. So it's just, you know, it's a case by case basis, but it's always to assure that um, our health is protected, but that we're also doing what is important to the community that's essential. You know, farm workers are considered essential workers. So even just having um, the ability to go out there, we're not communicating one-on-one. -on -one. We're leaving information at the doors and um, with contact information. We make appointments over phone and whatever the need is, we leave the information and then communicate again. So it's just changing that up a little bit. You know, uh, not that much human contact face-to-face, -face, but we're still providing all these services. Right. Well, and what's been interesting to me is, you know, we really at Telemont Corporation, we're becoming a lot more efficient with different types of technology to continue to meet the needs mm -hmm. of our farm worker population. And it may not have happened otherwise. So I do think even as difficult as things have been, I think in the long yes. run, there'll be some real benefit from going through this through this experience. Um, the final question that I have for you, Ginger, and you've hit on some of this already, what are some of the things that you really find inspiring that really motivates you and keep that passion within you really strong for the work that you do and the life that you live, right? What I get inspired the most is when we see people that, um, like I said earlier, that didn't realize that there's farm workers mm -hmm. in their backyards or that you know, the extent of the contribution that they have, or they, they've only heard of the stories on the news, and you get to sit with them for a little bit and share a conversation, story tell a little bit, and, you know, their perspectives change, their mind changes, and then they're engaged, 
you know, I'm inspired by individuals that, you know, I have some coworkers and some community partners that have such an advocacy for, you know, the population and the different programs that we work with. And um, those are just some of the things I just like seeing now it's crazy that, you know, we talk about the years that I've been here. One of the first families that I met, their daughter graduated actually at the Western Michigan camp program. And the parents have gone and gotten their GEDs. And those are the most gratifying things to be a part of, you know, because when I met this little girl, she was a little, like a little toddler. And then I remember her quinceanera and now she's graduating college. And this is all in the span of 14 years. Like our successes are not instant. You know, our successes take time and hard work, take time and perseverance. And I, I think what I'm inspired is when you finally see, you know, the outcome out of those years of support and continual um, communication with the families and addressing the needs or the workers, I should say. I couldn't agree with you more. And when I think of people who I get to interact with and work, um, people who I would rely on to know that they're going to follow through and, and give their very, very best effort to help others. You're right. You're at the very top of the list, Ginger. I want to thank you so much for speaking thank with me you, today. Thank you, Don. And I just want to say that um, I do this in honor of my grandparents and their names are Felipe and Juana Serna and they're from Texas. So thank you, Don. Thank you for listening to season two, episode 12 of A Passion to Serve. After we completed our interview, Ginger shared with me that she would have liked to have talked more about the impact her grandparents had on her life growing up. So we decided to have a follow-up interview in order to have this conversation about the legacy of Mrs. San Juan Serna and Mr. Felipe Serna. You will be able to listen to this episode next Tuesday. You can use the link provided to leave a voicemail message about topics of interest as well as any other comments about the podcast. You can continue to find a passion to serve on the links provided. Until next time.